Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 134, It's Me Against the World. This week we're discussing series 9, episode 6 of Doctor Who, The Woman Who Lived, and season 2, episode 15 of Angel, Reprise. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So here we are at The Woman Who Lived. Mm -hmm. And now, so this is what I was saying last week, right, about Harry Potter. uh, Yeah. The Boy Who Lived. Right, right. Now we're at The Woman Who Lived. Um, Yeah. Not that I think it necessarily has anything to do with Harry Potter, just here we are. Um, (laughs) uh, I think. I think you wanted to say a few things, though, before we started talking. Yeah, I had one uh, production note, which is to notice the writer, um, whose name is Catherine Tregenna, and uh, notable for being, you know, Doctor Who is not great about having diversity of writers in its writing pool, Um, Mm. you know, and I'm sure that goes down to a lot of factors, some of which are in their control, some of which aren't, you know, but um, it's exciting when there is a female writer because there were only ever a couple in the classic series. And then in the new series, there had only been one, just um, Helen Rayner, who didn't write the strongest ever episodes, but, you know, did write for series three and four. Um, And then, so this is the first female writer that there's been since her so um uh and then you know it's actually been a a little bit of a boost this year because there's actually a second female writer to come later in the season um and there's a number of uh women directors as well which is not which is also not always the case so it seems like there's been a little bit more of a concerted effort which is nice to see um but I want to point out her as well because um, uh, Tregenna is, you know, an established TV writer, but in particular, um, the thing she's most known for is having written for Torchwood. So she's kind of been in, you know, the Doctor Who universe before, and uh, her episodes are some of the more, uh, you know, respected of the Torchwood bunch. Um the sure. one, the one in particular, I think, which stands out is the episode called Captain Jack Harkness, which is, if you've seen the show, the one where they go back in time and you kind of see how Jack got the name, you know, because that's not originally his name. And you see the soldier that he kind of stole the identity from and everything. And that was nominated for a couple awards and everything. So, you know, she was definitely one of the the better of the Torchwood writers. Um, and you get like some of the same themes that she plays with. Like you have, you know, me, Lady Me as like another long uh, immortal kind of figure who feels sort of abandoned by the doctor and everything. Um, so kind of yeah. revisiting some of those ideas and you even get the mention of Jack in the episode. Right. You get the nod of like, Oh, he'll, right. he'll get to you eventually, which now I totally want the Jack and me like you know adventures you know in like whatever time period they're in um that's how jack and me me. like it's just such a nice just this nice little you know (laughs) yeah 
ring to it. But it would be like, like it could it would be totally completely the opposite. It would be totally would like have to be like dark and violent and like <laughs> totally messed up and both of them are like this, you know, misanthropic loner antisocial characters. But <laughs> yeah. But I think I think we just got our pitch for right, the BBC. Big finish. We're going to uh, call up Big Finish. We, and, we are and shutting pitch down this. this podcast and becoming TV producers. <laughs> Somebody get John Barrowman on the phone. Um, uh, how, anyway, how amazing no, would that be? Um, no, that would be awesome. <laughs> Jack and me. <laughs> Jack and me. Uh, all right. We should talk about this episode, though, not some fictional uh, yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, no, interesting. And and so that that makes it interesting because we kind of get um a similar thing in the Angel episode this week, right? Where we have Tim Minear bringing in an obscure character from one of his earlier episodes right. of um you know, have are you now or have you ever been yeah. where you get the bookstore owner there like he brings him back. Not not as maybe big of a presence as Captain Jack is, you know, for Doctor Who and Torchwood, but um, sure, but I like it. I like it when you can see continuity in a writer, like not just like you know, oh, it's Doctor Who in a mythology, so there has to be continuity. But like you can see what are the the themes that interest them, or like the characters that they want to make little like references to. Like you know, yeah. I feel like you get whether it's Tregenna or Tim Minear, you get a sense of like what concerns them as a writer, and like they have a certain little repertoire of ideas and characters that they like to use so sure sure um and even like and and even when it's not like necessarily characters that they create or whatever i was just even thinking like jane espenson bringing back jonathan sure for superstar and that kind of thing like um you know those those types of things but anyway right right she has an affinity for for that so yeah. Right. Oh, and and the ability to sort of see potential in characters that even maybe right. others didn't see at the time, or or you know, if it is like you know with Tim Minear where he created that bookstore character, right? Um, you you know, uh, that maybe it takes a season to kind of understand a different way that he can be used or abused, as it might right. be. <laughs> um. Anyway, so. Yeah, no, cool. Um, definitely, definitely good stuff. And yeah, good to see they're getting more women involved at different uh, production and writing and, and the, you know, directing and all that. Um, yeah, no, that is that is good to see them, like, branching now, out a bit. Now if, now if we could just get a woman to play the doctor, right? There you go. <laughs> That's where we're um, headed, I'm telling you. Uh, I, you know... Never say never, ever. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I'd like to talk. I'd like to start talking this week. So, um, you know, we we were talking a little bit before the podcast that, like, this is kind of, like, one of, from a character perspective, it's actually very minimalistic. Like, mm-hmm. you, you, obviously you get some, like, you know, side characters who come in and, you know, like there's the people who are being robbed at the beginning and then there's, um, you know, you get Sam, whatever his name is at the end, Uh, you know, and you get like the cat alien thing, but like, they're all sort of like these minor bits. You actually get quite a lot of screen time where it's just the doctor and 
Lady Me, I yeah. guess. Um, maybe that's how we'll refer to her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's easier know, than um, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if if we just call her Me, that could be confusing. Um, but the uh, uh, you know a lot of the episode is actually just sort of dialogue between the two mm -hmm. of them, and and um, you, you get sort of a philosophical um, viewpoint uh you know between well differing viewpoints a lot of it is sort of presented almost almost sort of like socratic dialogue in a way where you're getting like one person talking you know and the other one asking questions right. a lot of the time or or um maybe if not even socratic it's it's you know it is that sort of philosophical dialogue where you've got like two characters clearly sort of pointing out different sides of a coin kind of thing. So um, I just, I, you know, I like that in a way because um, one, it's different, right? We're, it, we're used to more of like mm -hmm. the story sort of plot driven structure. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't have that until sort of the end, you know, a little right. bit, right. you know, we get it. Um, it's kind of like, oh yes, well, we should still tell some kind of story. Here. Right, right. Um, although <laughs> I honestly... I might have been fine had they not <laughs> like I, I like I I'm okay with sort of maybe if it's not every episode but once in a while like this I'm I'm okay with sort of the way it played out so um yeah but I did want to sort of talk through maybe um less by character because there's only really two main characters here right. and more by um topic as as not quite maybe in the order that they bring it up because I feel like we go back and forth between some different topics and stuff, but at least, um, you know, sort of just take on the different things. And the, and the first one I wanted to talk about, um, because I feel like it, it, it sort of continues throughout the whole episode is the idea of memory. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, certainly not the first time we've talked about memory. Um, there are a number of companions and, um, yeah. you know, one-off sort of people that we've uh, had this discussion about, um, you know, the ponds and yeah. uh, uh, Donna mm -hmm. and, you know, just that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, we get a number of different angles about memory here with uh, Lady Me. And she, so for one, sort of one of the earlier moments is when the doctor calls her a shielder and she's like, Who's the shoulder? Yeah. <laughs> and so there's this sense of like that she's forgotten who she was altogether. Right. Um, right. That's like her, her Smeagol moment, you know, of like. Right. Or, <laughs> right. Who she is. And then she's kind of like, oh, yes, I do sort of remember there was like this village and I had a different name kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But she sort of rejects that and says, that's not me anymore. Quite literally, that's not me, right. as in lady me. Right. It's it's a different person. It's a like you know we we even say you know oh in another life I was blah 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 meaning like five years ago. Right. Well, for her, like it was what eight hundred or whatever it was years ago. Yeah. Um, and so there is this sense that like, um, I forget the exact quote. I don't know if I wrote it down where she says something about like you know part of the problem of of having immortal life is that you still have a mortal mind mm. and that like um i don't think she says it quite that way but but you know that idea of she's not a time lord 
you know, like we've seen that the doctor has a great capacity for memory and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of intellectual processing and recall and all of that types of st- stuff. But she doesn't right. like her brain is finite, even if her life is not. Um, so inevitably things are going to have to get sort of pushed out. Like it's, you know, if you imagine a computer, like you only have so much storage space. So at some point you have to back it up onto an external hard drive and that's kind of what her journals are. Right. Right. Um, And you see like the shelves and shelves and shelves of her journals, um, which first of all, props to her for being that disciplined. Um, But also, uh, you know, just that idea that, you know her mind just is not capable of holding everything that she can and and who you know who's it like even in our measly you know 80 year lives people don't remember everything right. so like right. you know to live 10 times long that with a prospect of living many more times longer uh you know you wouldn't necessarily expect her to be able to remember everything yeah um I, you almost wonder well, I guess we kind of know, right? Like the she she starts journaling like right away, apparently. Like it kind of seemed like it, yeah. Don't we get like today I was supposed to die and you know, I was saved by the doctor. And right, it's like, right. oh, okay, so literally from day one, yeah, you started writing this stuff down. Right. Um and, Right, and maybe you know, with I, a sense that she would need that one day. Uh yeah, but or, I like um, I like the continuity of her. A shielder they made such an emphasis of her as the storyteller, you know, of the one who, you know, thinks up stories and tells them, and and like the emphasis on that. So then, and that's kind of the way she talks about her journals. Like she she remembers what's in the journals, but because she's read them, she talks about them like almost as if they were like good books that she's like, Oh, that was exciting. I remember that. Like, you know, I remember my name because I read it or I remember Clara because I wrote it down and I looked it up like as if it was a reference book or something, but not because the memories aren't apparently still, uh, you know, living and immediate in her mind. Um, you know, but she kind of turns into retelling her own story, like, to herself through the journals and everything. Sure. Um, and well, yes, definitely, but not all of it. Cause even like parts of it, right. There's, there are leaves missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like some of it <laughs> is worth forgetting apparently. Right. Um, or at least seemed to be at the time and now it's too late to recover it, you know, right. even if it wasn't. Um, and you do have to wonder to some extent, like, I mean, again, it's not hard to believe that over the course of 800 years, you know, that she would forget things. Certainly, certainly people do um, forget things in much less time. But you do have to wonder to what extent some of that forgetfulness is maybe a bit willful or maybe um, even contrived mm-hmm. a bit. Like, I like I'm I'm I forget it because I choose to forget it more so than like because right. I just happen to forget it. Um and I don't I can't point to anything specifically, but you kind of feel like 
the loss of your children might be something you don't ever really forget, no matter how old you get to be, you right. know? Right. Um, and so, you know, something like that. Um, and again, like we see the tear stains on the pages. So mm-hmm. clearly she's gone back and reread that. And okay, on the one hand, like, you know, I've cried at books I've read and not known the people personally, but um, I feel like even even at times where like, like just this past year, you know, I lost my grandmother and there have been times since then mm-hmm. where even just thinking about her, like, you know, has sort of made me tear up a little bit and that kind of thing. And so you don't forget those people like that easily. Like there, there has to be more than just like, oh yes, I forgot that happened. Like you have to actually put it out of your mind, like sort of intentionally, which is hard to do too, because it's that thing of, if you're trying not to think about something, then you're thinking about it. Right. (laughs) You know, so, so I don't know. There, there's a certain extent there to which. Right. Well, and that's what her forgetfulness is just simply not like, it's not just for, it's not like I just don't remember anymore because it's been so long. It's, it's sort of that willfulness to it. Well, and that's what I think the, the, why you tear out the pages and throw them away is to, force yourself to like you know that's that decision to like you say willfully deciding to put that out of your mind um and like kind of an out of sight out of mind type thing and like it makes me even wonder like to what extent are the journals you know kind of like just a metaphor for memory in the first place you know that like you know you tear out the bad things to try not to think about them but she can't tear out the children. Like some things are so bad that, you know, uh, no amount of, you know, ignoring is going to erase that memory and that influence. Um, yeah. You know, whether, whether you want to look at that in a positive way of it's impossible for her to forget that experience in those children or, you know, there's the kind of dark side of of that of you know this is her reminder not to let it happen again that the memory teaches her you know that you know caring is is inevitably painful and so it becomes you know yeah. a negative influence so um yeah well and it it just occurred to me now i didn't think of this while i was actually watching but she talks about like the whole you know, it takes 10,000 hours to like master, you know, something. Well, how long has she been writing in those journals? Like, right. <laughs> you know, like that mm-hmm. seems to me, if there's anything, like assuming that she's been doing it right up until the present, you know, at right. the time the doctor sees her again, and presumably will continue doing that. Like that seems to be the thing that she masters is mm-hmm. the, the writing down of memories mm-hmm. and, and, that's an interesting thing of course that so two things so sorry this this is where the 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 sort of off the cuff claims um the scientific mm-hmm. claims as it were uh sort of annoy me <laughs> that that ten thousand hours thing that came out of like some popular 
right that's you know, science like, um, book like from yeah. like the 80s or 90s or something like first of all anachronistic like for her to even like make that claim but also like sure. it, like it's been debunked like it's not even like really actually true so um anyway yeah no i do i can't think of which book it is but that's like one of those like popular economics books or something like that um yeah or like business book yeah like right, right, right. like something not like even that. like real science <laughs> anyway no it, that that is funny um um but the so um you know w with with the journals um i mean i you know again like on the one hand i'm sort of jealous that she is that disciplined to like journal all that time because i've tried at various times to keep journals and they're I've been more or less successful at times, but certainly not over the course of like 800 years yeah. um, or even like, like 800 eight, days. <laughs> eight days sounds like an accomplishment <laughs> from my journaling. Uh, so the other, um, you know, the other aspect of this, so of course is sort of with the forgetting um, and we start like, like by, by forgetting who you were, there is this sense where like now you have these multiple lives, right? Like you've been multiple people over the course of your life. And I think, I think people just normal people who don't have miraculously extended lives feel that way over the course of their lives. Like yeah. I certainly know that I feel like I've been a number of different people, you know, in my childhood and my teenage years and you know my college and then sort of post-college life and you know even now like I feel different than I did even like eight or nine years ago so right. like I I that but you know I still am me right. um, she she's still <laughs> me too no um you know like I like I'm I'm still Curtis I still have my name and my identity in that sort of way mm -hmm. even though like maybe the actual way i feel and identify myself has changed but like for her that that's changed uh not just like over the course of of you know her life and all the different like you know you get the sense that like she's had these sort of symbolic deaths or like Claim to mm -hmm. claims to have died, you know, for, you know, to, you know, to other people or whatever. But um, now there's just this like complete loss of identity in the fact that she just calls herself me. Who am I? I'm me, uh, which, you know, uh, what's the have you ever seen Cannonball Run? Like, the you know, him. I am him. No. Anyway, um, all right. Well, that's a. Uh, You'll have to see Sorry, that one to get the I reference, but lost uh, reference on me. But. Uh, Dom DeLuise in a mm. dressed up in like a superhero costume, and the superhero's name is him. <laughs> um, so he just runs around saying, "I am him." But anyway, um, it's it's like ridiculous late seventies humor. Sure, um, just reminded me of that. But yeah, like there's this there's this sense of like she calls herself me, but me isn't really a name like it it's just i'm me like i'm 
I don't really have an identity. There's no beyond just what? Right. Myself. Like I she can't really relate to anyone else. And that's that's part of what your identity is. Like in a sense, like we I'm sure we all like to think that like absent anyone else, like that's who I am. Like that I'm I'm a person and I'm, you know, I have these qualities and that's what defines myself. Yeah. But there is a sense in which like like why do I even have to have a name? I have a name so that other people can call me it. Right. Like I don't need a name for myself. I wouldn't go I mean, okay, maybe you could do like the Seinfeld thing and like talk about people who talk to themselves in the third person, you know, refer to themselves you know, I could yeah. refer to myself as Curtis all the time, I guess. But like I wouldn't do that absent other people because there would be no name to have the name Curtis. And so in a way right. her long life and and you know, getting to that point where she is simply referring to herself as me shows how far outside of society and other people she has actually pulled herself. That that she doesn't really have a need for names, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just her and she doesn't really care about anyone else. And that's why, like, you get her donning a mask, you know, and becoming the what is it? The nightmare. The nightmare. Um, you know, for for other people. But like otherwise right. she's just me. She she doesn't have to have a name for anyone else. Right. There's something kind of in the use of like that pronoun or or in the like, you know, refer to yourself in the third person like Jimmy thing. Um it, it there's something kind of like antisocial about it like because there's no way like even just the fact that we struggle over calling her me like we have to say lady me to distinguish it like by making other like if anybody else refers to her as me it's inherently like confusing it it kind of forces her to become like the center of all reality you know like people can't call her me without that you know, maybe erasing their own identities. Like it, it makes her kind of like, she says like, you know, singular unattached, but like also kind of central to everything. Um, Like, and it does kind of like cut off the, you know, relational aspect of living. Um, Mm. And which is interesting to me, like the connection of the name with the many lives, because I want to, you know, kind of acknowledge the many lived thing is like, you know, there's a lot of doctor parallels in here of how, you know, of her as a kind of, you know, reflection of, you know, him as this immortal with many different lives that she's lived. And even like you were saying, like about how, you know, even in our own short lives, we are many different people, like they've used that metaphor, you know, in the series, like, you know, it's that the 11th doctor monologue before he regenerates his, you know, we're all different people through our lives. Like, you know, maybe that's what regeneration sort of stands for in the first place is how we change as we go on. So her kind of, you know, refusal to maybe accept those identities and just exist as me is a sort of like, 
philosophical rejection of that, of like, rather than, you know, live, you know, as an eternally changing person, she's going to be this, you know, eternally sort of static monolithic, you know, um, you know, just her and without any sort of influence, because I feel like that's what, um, that's what relationship means is that, you know, giving up a little bit of control to other people, like, you know, mm. and we talked about that last time, like how just the doctor interacting with the world means that he's going to create tidal waves because as soon as he interacts with other people, they're going to do things they can't, he can't predict. And so therefore things are going to go in ways that you can't foresee. I feel like that's the same thing with her of like, if you have, if she, you know, has a family, they're going to, you know, do things that she doesn't expect, or they're going to die, or they're going to disappoint her, or, you know, and by becoming Lady Me, she's sort of rejecting all the things that go along, you know, with that. Um, which is an interesting, as much as that's like the Doctor, that's also an interesting contrast to him, that he's you know, is eternally this person of change who goes from mm. identity to identity of different, you know, embodiments and new relationships and new adventures and new incarnations. And so he's like, I don't know, maybe this is a kind of, you know, glimpse at like the other way you could go, you know, um, or or the temptation of the other side to just sort of be, you know, you alone, unattached, and, you know, without those mm. uh, relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I want to also point out, I don't quite want to talk about Clara yet, but that's another, you know, another way that Clara was like the Doctor, too, you know, was the many lives and, you know, her mm. different identities of, you know, being you know, the impossible girl and, you know, being all the different Claras through time and even just her different identities as, you know, uh, the nanny and the school teacher and the different incarnations and everything. So, um, sure. Sure. So, um, one of the other things I want to talk about is the idea that, um, gets brought up of uh, the doctor saving Ishildur versus her, or at least Lady Me's take on what he actually did, which is to trap her. Um, yeah. So um, I'm trying to find the exact quote here, but, but there's that exchange that they have amidst all of the other exchanges mm -hmm. that they have um, where he, he sort of says like, I, you know, all I was trying to do was save you, you know, save a, a young girl or a young woman who, mm -hmm. uh, you know, was about to die. And, you know, and she says to him, uh, you didn't save me. Uh, you didn't save my life. You trapped me inside it. Oh, here it is. I saved your life. Um, 
he says, I didn't know your heart would rust because I kept it beating. I didn't think your conscience would need renewing, that the well of human kindness would run dry. I just wanted to save a terrified young woman's life. And then she says, you didn't save my life, doctor. You trapped me inside it. Um, which is interesting because like, well, and it's not the first time that we've got the sense that like long life is mm -hmm. uh, uh, more of a burden than whatever. And even, even the doctor has sort of hinted at that same thing, right? It's that, yeah. you know, long life isn't just, you know, all happiness and mm -hmm. roses it's it's seeing the people you love die mm -hmm. and it's you know or not not even just the people you love everyone right. <laughs> seeing right. everyone die um and we kind of talked about that i guess um was it even just last week uh mm -hmm. in last week's episode where where we were talking yeah. about like even the idea of like the doctor just by virtue of being a time traveler because you can travel to any you know particular moment um you know that could be a moment past which the people you knew were living mm -hmm. um and undoubtedly will be at some point if not our, you know if you haven't already experienced it you will um yeah and that go i feel like that goes right way back you know to the beginning of um you know with like rose and you know the end of the earth it's mm -hmm. like that that devastating moment of like this is the end of literally everything i know and that's not to say that like life and humanity don't go on they do right but just that sort of stepping into that you know sort of philip k dick uh you know weirdness of like this is this is bizarre this is not something that like normal people should deal with um so I don't, I mean, on the one hand, like, obviously, we know, you know, the doctor tells us and like, we can believe him, I think that, like, he was just trying to save her. But there's also that sense of, I I feel like in the past, he's been more um, hesitant, I guess, to like, do those sorts of things and 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 we get that that's why he's hesitant even to interfere at mm -hmm. all with with the you know with the viking village or whatever in the previous episode like that there's a chance that he could make a tidal wave but the saving of life here is definitely like on a much grander scale than normally he does mm -hmm. like when he saves someone's life most of the time, it's not like to live a preternaturally long right, life, right. you know, after that. It's so that you can live out your, uh, the life that you deserve to have, which is, you know, the normal life that any one of your species would have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, not, not that you'll be alive forever. And I'm trying to think of what other cases that, that that's been. Like, maybe... Well, I don't even know that, like, I almost said Donna, but that's not, like, the doctor didn't really save her, right? It was, like, that was a different sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I And I couldn't think of, like, any other examples where that sort of, like, 
long extended life happened. But um, right, because even even Jack, that was really Rose slash you know the bad wolf that sort of right. brought right. him back. But but that I think is an interesting comparison because when you get him coming back to sort of the doctor, well, you get the doctor, his reaction to that is to abandon him and leave him on the, you know, space station. And then when he tries to come back, you know, the doctor tries to fly away. (laughs) Right, right, right. They fly to hang onto the outside. So like you get this, like, even though he's not directly responsible for it, you get this like, you know, refusal to even, uh, look at in the eye like the consequences of like the consequences are so big that he his instinct is to run away from it and not explain to jack what um you know it it, what it what it all means and have the kind of awkward conversation and everything um yeah well and you get the sense that that may have been why he waited so long here too like he I mean, he says, like, I didn't realize, you know, I didn't think that the well of humanity would dry up, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. Like, that kind of stuff. Okay. I guess. Mm -hmm. But, like, you also get the sense, like, maybe he was avoiding her a little bit. And that, like, this... I mean, I I think I believe him when he says, like, running into her was an accident. Like, I think... I believe that. I don't know. <laughs> right. Maybe, right? May, maybe you have a different take on it, but like, no, I, 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 I kind of feel like he's he he's being real, like he's being honest when he says, like, yeah, I was just searching for this alien sort of technology, and you happen to be there. Sure. No, there is a sense of like, well, if she lives that long, they're bound to run into each other eventually. Um, but you know, there is the, there is a line about how. Uh, you know, last I saw you, you were founding a leper colony or something. So, oh. like, there is the suggestion that he has, maybe he didn't expect to run into her at this moment, but he has been keeping an eye on her, at least somewhat. Maybe not every moment, sure. but he's checked in. And, you know, why is that? Is that in, like, you know, to make sure she's okay, to make sure she hasn't gone crazy to like, you know, we don't know exactly what he expected to find. Um, you know, um, which I mean, definitely at the end, I think with his, you know, I'm going to have to keep an eye on you. There's something vaguely threatening about that. Um, you know, so, you know, it's not clear, I think to me what he expects to find when he meets her at the beginning of you know, does he expect her to be, you know, a shielder as he remembers her? Or, you know, could he, is he maybe half expecting that she would have become, you know, quite cynical or, you know, um, you know, more detached? Because like, like he says, it's not like he doesn't understand what she's going through. So you have to think that, you know, it, it it can't be too surprising to find that she has grown, you know, you know, into a different person than she was when she was, you know, a teenager and everything. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think and that's about, something I. Um, oh, sorry. Well, 
I was just going to think of say too, like there's that, um, you know, that part of the discussion too, where she talks about um, you get about while I trudge through centuries, day by day, hour by hour. Um, I always think of of uh, girl in the fireplace, yeah. right? Like the, the slow the, path, yeah, 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 taking the slow path and that sort of thing. And like, of course, the doctor's never going to do that if he can, and yet. He expects her to, and and that's um, true, and I, that's a good point because in some ways you're like I like I said I think he can understand what she's going through, but on the other hand, I think that shows that he can't fully understand because he will yeah. never take the slow path. Um, and there's also isn't there uh, is it the Satan pit where they had the conversation about like getting a mortgage? Oh yeah, and, like, like yeah, he's gonna like. <laughs> Yeah, pay a mortgage and live in a house, and yeah, yeah, like when, of course that doesn't happen. No, like you know, no, whatever. but he's briefly horrified uh, by that idea. On the other hand, there is you know uh, his his Trenzalor stint, sure. where he's there for how long? Sure, you know, a couple hundred years or whatever it is. So I mean, yeah. that I would say is a little bit different though, because it's like. While he's there, it's like he's always fighting, right? Like it's always like to protect and right. to like keep people at bay. So I don't, I mean, yes, maybe technically it's still the slow path, but there's like, like all the action is coming to him, right? Right. You know, during that time. So like maybe that's not a comparable, right? Uh, right. You know, situation. But anyway, I guess, I guess just to say, right? That, like, it's a, it's a taste of, it's at least a taste of that sort of experience. Um, but in in general, you get the sense that like he's not the one to sit there and trudge through the centuries day by day, hour by hour, and mm-hmm. and that's the key to it, right? It's the trudging. It's fine if there's you know robots to blow up and you know people to fight against and whatever. Like that's great, you know. He's all for helping to protect people in that situation. But if it's the day to day, hour by hour, just living your life and being boring and being you know just normal everyday human he's not going to do that right right and uh i I thought that was an interesting line of of me's lady me's i was you know i think like the 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 pain of the immortality is part of her whole kind of cynicism but also there's you know the line about like her kind of contempt for people who, you know, uh, what is her line about um, uh, the mayflies? People are mayflies breeding and dying, repeating the same yep. mistakes. It's boring. Like, you know, it, it, you kind of get like, yeah, the trauma of losing loved ones is terrible, but she's been through that a few times and she's learned how to cope with that, which is not to attach. And right now, like the big burden is just how boring the life is, you know, of just existing and, you know, probably because she's not forming any attachments. So there's nothing, you know, you get that she's not really being fulfilled by her life. And so it's just this sort of repetitive existence, um, you know, and that's the appeal of, you know, the only thing to relieve that is to go, you know, you know, kind of try to replicate what the doctor does of go adventuring and go get out of, you know, her little small pond into like, you know, 
mm. uh, a wider universe and everything. Sure. Um, yep. And that's interesting. Um, I, I want to, I, I just want to say, I think this conversation is one we should keep in mind for later in the season. Um, cause <clears throat> it might be important later. About, about the slow path versus the long path. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's, you know, one I want to try to remember to keep in mind and come back to. I'll write it down in my journal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, okay. Um, And I guess that kind of brings us to the last sort of, well, I mean, okay. So we talked about sort of the immortal long life and the slow path and all that. And and you brought up like the mayflies, which is sort of like the fleeting life. Mm -hmm stuff um but the last thing i want to talk about is sort of that desire to leave and 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 then ultimately the i i first thought of it as the decision to stay but maybe decision is the wrong word because she never really gets the option to leave right um but like the the sort of acceptance of yeah staying and and it is a decision insofar as it's um you know we're back to to jackie right of what happens to those who get left behind. And this is what lady me slash a reborn or whatever you want to call her, you know, um, wants to take up is, is that, you know, I want to stay behind and, and take care of the people who, yeah who you leave behind, who are sort of traumatized by right. just even being close to your life. And, um, we see well okay so well and can i jump in really quick um (laughs) let me jump in really quick and say because it i think it's interesting that in that kind of with the types of like ideas that it's talking about and maybe this is why it feels kind of this episode feels kind of unusual and idiosyncratic is that it sort of reminds me of like a dr light episode but except the doctor's in it Like, this feels like it goes, I don't know, it feels like this belongs in the same conversation as, like, Love and Monsters and Blink and those episodes Mm -hmm. where, like, it's about the people that get left behind. It's just, it happens to feature the Doctor as well. But it's sort of in that same, like, when she says patron saint of the Doctor's leftovers, I think, like, Lady Meese totally should have had her eye on Linda or something, you know, (laughs) like... You know, like she totally would have belonged in that club or at least like maybe been keeping an eye on them or, you know, you know, or, or off having adventures with Jack or like, she's one of these little, you know, or river or whatever. Like she belongs in this group of like spinoff characters who are sort of affected by the doctor and then go on to have like all these other, you know, if not their own shows, then it's almost like, well, they could have their own, like, like there's more. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like the people that get left behind and have to find some way to function in the universe now that their lives have been sort of, you know, changed, if not like, you know, devastated by having met with him and then kind of been left behind by him. So. Sure. Um, 
and maybe you could almost like cobble together stuff where like she is in the background of like all of these little things in little right. ways like right who knows but right yeah or i'm even thinking like of a justice league of like doctor leftovers of like <laughs> all right we need the show of like lady me jack river elton pope sally sparrow <laughs> like i don't know i think this would be great this could be like the new marvel and, universe and and what was the guy from the very first episode clive clive but clive died well i we, know we he died but i mean like, bring him back like yeah. before he died though yeah because like, he was like the one investigating everything right, right? right. like yeah like the conspiracy uh, theorist yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. I feel like they like, all like belong in the same world as each other. Like, you know, um, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So obviously like she clearly she had this desire to leave that she repeats again and again. Yeah. And, you know, goes into cahoots with this, uh, Leandro, uh -huh. is that right? Yeah. Um, to do, you know, to capture this amulet, um, which she thinks will, like, transport her somewhere or whatever, but turns out, oh, no, it's just opening a portal. It's kind of like a hellmouth in the sky, right? It's like, sure. it opens yeah. this portal for, like, all the demons, yeah. I mean, like aliens to come through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I mean, it has a very similar sort of feel. It to does, it. yeah. Um, I, well, yeah, okay. even so the, actually, yeah. I, I was gonna say t briefly to talk about Leandro because I don't want to spend a ton of time on him, but like, um, I do like how sort of initially he's almost portrayed. You, you almost like end up feeling bad because you're thinking that he's a monster, and then you get this. Um, explanation that he's from Delta Leonis. He says, "My tribe was overthrown, my world destroyed, my wife killed as we escaped." And you, you kind of get that sense of like, "Oh, wait, this is a survivor. Like, this is someone the doctor should actually help." Right. But then it turns out not to be that way. No, no, he's really bad. Right. <laughs> like, right. there, he just wants to call people to come, you know, take over the earth. So, but there is, I, I, that's, I like that fake out a little bit because. At the beginning there, before you find out that he, you know, really is bad, you do get the sense of like, uh, or, or you know, that the payment for opening this portal is somebody's death, mm -hmm. that you do get the sense that like, actually, maybe the shoulder isn't doing anything that bad. Like, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe she's just trying to be helpful. And yes, it like will help her out too, but maybe right. it's not that big. So I like kind of how they play with sort of the motives there a little bit yeah um and, yeah uh, and that and that the 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 only clue that the doctor and we have that it's not all you know perfectly good and reasonable is her reluctance to explain why you know like he's kind of like the fact that you don't want to tell me how this works tells me that there's something shady going on like otherwise probably he would have said, you know, uh, you know, of course this creature needs help. And, you know, normally he would, he would be happy to help, but it's the kind of like her, right. like, and they do have that weird, like 
almost parent-child relationship at times of like, why don't you want to tell me what you're up to? Like, you know, um, sure. you know, and you know, yeah. she says, you're not my dad. Like, you know, the, <laughs> the, even she's hundreds of years old, but it's like, you know, she's still the, the teenager, you know, compared to the doctor. Well, and it's, it's that, um, so, you know, again, that sort of des- desire to leave hinges on that too, right? It's like, I'm going to run away with the bad boy, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Like, yeah. like, I don't, I don't care I don't how dangerous approval, it might be you know? yeah. or, or whether you might have more insight or experience than I do to, you right. know, uh, provide your feedback on it. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and run off with this guy. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely that sense to it. And, you know, I mean, again, like you understand why, like the doctor clearly has the same impetus because, Hey, that's what he does yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, not only that, but all his companions do too. Like that's why they go with the doctors because they want to run off. Yeah. Even their rel- you know, relatively boring short-lived lives are, you know, right. Uh, Repetitive too, and boring. Too mundane. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like, like they also want to go off and see all of these things. So you can understand why she's there. Yeah. And and I think I think the key, of course, is is what we get later. It's not that like like the doctor says her doing that would be bad. Her going with him would be bad. And you come to find out it's not bad for her mm-hmm. or for anything that she would do. It's bad because it reminds him of what he can't have. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it's all these. Uh, um, oh, where is it? Um, you know, where does she say that? Like it, you know, it's it's basically it. You know, it leaves him with a bad taste in his mouth mm-hmm. to have her along with him. Right. Like it's not it's not anything that it, it's not anything about her actually leaving you know it's not anything about um, right he doesn't he never says like you know you can never leave like you imagine when she lives long enough for there to be space travel she'll have the freedom of that but no it's that we can't travel together is the thing like because we wouldn't be good for each other like yeah it's the that's the companion is the contrast to the doctor which is important um, because they yeah. need to compensate for each other in ways, you know, and, you know, each has blind spots that the other can sort of see more clearly. Yeah. And well, and I mean, I guess in one sense he does say, I, uh, you know, a little bit, um, that it wouldn't be good for her either, but you also get the sense that it's like more about him. Than sure. Her. Like, yeah. Uh, he says, people like us, we go on too long. We forget what matters. The last thing we need is each other. Mm. We need the mayflies. See the mayflies. They know more than we do. They know how beautiful and precious life is because it's fleeting. Um, and then he you know, just talks about Sam Swift and how he makes every moment count. And then he says, I looked into your eyes and saw my worst fears, weariness, emptiness. And so it, it's almost that... Um, you know, misery loves company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's almost that if we were together, it would be so much worse because it would be compounding the loneliness, not yeah. taking it away. Which which makes me wonder 
about the second device that he gives her because then it's like well why would you give her like mm. if if we need the mayflies then why would you give her the ability to have someone who's that way too like you could almost just see two people who have you know yeah. Im- who are immortal being even worse it's like you know the old married couple but like compounded like <laughs> millions of times and not like this sweet old married couple right. that you see at mcdonald's like each other's really hands bitter and yeah yeah it's like the bitter old couple who can't stand each other yeah and they're each just waiting for the other one to die or themselves like right. it doesn't even matter who dies first at that point right. it's just like one of us will die eventually and then we won't have to deal with each other anymore um but right. yeah like on a on a you know infinite scale um so you almost wonder like if that's the case and and does that explain you know uh lady me you know when she says no one's good enough Mm -hmm. i haven't found anyone yet basically that is worthy of having life with me or that live for or that i could stand (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. which i like that i like the way they end up using the other immortality thing in this like that that becomes the resolution to the story in this that you know there's almost that that sense of like no one was good enough and this is what she was waiting for was to use it you know to not save someone's life in the sense of cursing them with immortality but to actually save a life you know and to save a life that she you know fix a mistake that she made like she would have been responsible for this but because she kept this thing and never used it, she gets to save him rather than, you know, you know, doom him, I guess. Which is like a nice, that has like a nice kind of you catastrophe feel of like, oh, that was lucky that she never used it, you know, until here and now is the perfect opportunity. Um, sure. And maybe even like a relief, like, oh, now I don't have this thing in my pocket and you're have the burden of decision of who to give it to. It's just like, nope, you gave it to somebody. He's grateful. It's done. And you can kind of let go of that. You know, that's a lot of pressure to be kind of, you know, like if you think about it, she never gave it to any of like her children or her, you know, lovers or anything like that. Like all the people that she's rejected giving it to over the years. Um, Sure. And I would imagine that's because, like, that's just too big of a decision, you know, to, like, you know, put that on somebody else. So to kind of use it in a way that saves Sam Swift and kind of redeems herself is, like, kind of nice. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and so that's also sort of her, where she... You know, so you get the turn, you get the, hey, wait, actually, I do care. Um, and, <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and <clears throat> along with that, I mean, after sort of in the story, but you kind of get the sense that it happens in that moment. You get that, you know, again, that decision or sort of acceptance of her staying and staying behind to take care of, you know, the people that, yeah, the doctor. So then you get this coda with clara yeah um which i mean it's a bit 
contrived, obviously. Um, it's just like, oh, here I am again for another adventure. And um, other than the doctor sort of like being earnest and saying, you know, I missed you. Mm. Um, it's just sort of like, you know, they're playful and whatever. And, and she has this selfie that she wants to show him and shows, of course, a shoulder in the background. So, um, I'll, well, we already talked a little bit like, okay, so maybe we could imagine a shoulder sort of being on the sidelines throughout like the right. rest of, of the doctor's, right. you know, adventures and sort of maybe, and maybe none of the companions ever, like maybe that's part of it is like, maybe she's a secret and none of the other companions or people who are left behind they don't even have to be companions are yeah ever really like aware per se that of who she is and what she is but maybe mm -hmm. she just sort of befriends them on the side and you know or helps them out in some way that isn't like big and flashy and whatever right. but is just sort of like she does it and and then moves on and right right um but of course, so that's part of it, right? So you get the sense that she's sort of lurking in the background, or maybe lurking is too, you know, uh, creepy. But like, you know, what, however you want to say that. Yeah. The other part of it, of course, is like, okay, well, this is Clara. So what's happening to Clara or what's going to happen? And so like, of course, with your comments about, you know, let's make sure we pay attention to clara being sort of sidelined a lot yeah. like that that becomes the question of like okay well then is she one of the ones who gets left behind and if so how and where and all of that um and obviously i don't expect any of those answers at this point like, sure but it's just those are sort of the things that that run around my mind yeah well and i think because uh several episodes we've talked about her being a bit sidelined in the story. And so now here to get an episode that she's literally like not in at all until the very end is like, I think quite, you know, notable. And, but then the fact that you have the like oblique references to her, um, you know, of like, you know, it's kind of all when you, when they talk about the mayflies and everything, it's sort of like, well, you have to be thinking about the companions and, Clara is the companion. So like, you know, lines about, you know, why haven't you made Clara immortal? Like if he has the the ability to do this, you know, why haven't, you know, you done it? And, um, you know, the doctor's response, well, look how you turned out. And then a shielder or me says, she'll die on you, you know, she'll blow away like smoke. So, uh, you know, and then you get his, like you said, his relief of, and, you know, uh, seeing her again like after a day with lady me like clara is like such pleasant company um and like this renewed appreciation of the mayflies and like what she brings to the relationship as opposed to like you know thank goodness you know it's not the doctor and me you know spending every day together so um i just feel like for the continuing story arc you know, that feels very, um, it's very like, it reminds me a lot of season two with Rose, where there were a lot of references to like the companion fate before it ever happened of like, 
you know, the, the little things about never say never ever and all that, where, um, you know, just the fact that she is kind of absent in this episode is sort of, you know, I think worth noting. Sure. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Well. Anyway, so we'll probably have to leave it at that, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, and see where that leads us next time. Yeah. On to, on to Angel. On to Angel. Um, so, reprise. So, I was saying, like, I always struggle with Angel to know where to start because there's so many different characters and plot threads. And even more so than Buffy, I feel like Buffy... I feel like even though there's a lot of characters in Buffy, often they're all working on the same plot, you know, whereas like, hmm. I feel like Angel, especially this season, they've been so split up, you know, um, that yeah. it's like, it's a lot of like balls to juggle. And then in particular with this episode, I think we were saying like, apart from like Doyle, every single major character plays a role in some way or other and, and some minor and ones, even right. like a couple like just little minor recurring ones um you know pop up so it there's a lot you know so yeah. knowing how to go through it is kind of a struggle but and i feel like to some extent with this uh with this season of angel you're getting kind of a similar feel as season four of buffy where you know, it is part of that's because, you know, in the storyline, it's they're all sort of pulling right. apart. Right. And this seems to be right. like the next the next step. Right. You get. Well, I I know we're going to talk about all the characters later, but you do get <clears throat> sort of like by the end, they're all off alone by themselves. Right. You know, doing their own thing. Right. Um, so, yeah. 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 Um, so I want to start with I guess like the most unifying plot point, which is this 75 year review with Wolfram and Hart. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, kind of go through the different characters reactions to it and sort of what we learn about what that means. Um, so, <gasps> you know, from the, like, you know, we find out different bits and pieces from like what we hear from Lila and Lindsay and what we hear from the host and what Holland says and different people. Um, but there's this idea of, you know, like, you know, and, and any other organization or company they have, you know, I like how, you know, insistently bureaucratic Wolfram and Hart is. So this is like, yeah. you know, this dreaded 75 year review of, you know, it's even worse than like, you know, she says the review of like 68 and like, you know, you get the, the impression that there are, you know, there's a lot of slashing and burning of, you know, personnel in like a very literal sort of way. So like, you know, right. everybody at Wolf and Heart is like shaking in their boots and sacrificing their firstborn. Right. Like, and, and I like that Lila's like, you know, you know, mom was right. I should have had kids. Like, this is what you should have had a kid for is like protection against your bosses, you know? Um, sure. It's just funny. And there's a lot. The other thing that made me laugh was, you know, that you get the impression that all the different members are off, you know, sacrifice, making sacrifices, you know, or else paying to have sacrifices made, like to kind of pease the, the senior partners before they even show up. 
But I like the um, the guys in the beginning in the first scene going through like like as if it's like IKEA furniture, you know, like right. like like you know, oh, you know, in in a it, well, it's sort of a recipe, but it's like they they're given all the tools like in their little do it yourself kit. So like you know, you have the the pre blessed dagger, which you know they didn't give us the dagger. Like there's always a piece missing, you know, <laughs> like right, right. Um, you know, and going through like everything in like a very, uh, you know, sort of step by step written instructions, sort of they're making sure they get it right. Yeah. Um, so, so let me hold off there because I wanted to point out that in that opening scene um, with the two guys, the one of those guys is David Fury, um, the writer producer. Uh huh. Um. So anyway, I just oh one of them is him. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, one of them is that. is him. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, no, it's fine. He he's the the larger of the two. Okay. is is him, and um, yeah, just a funny little point of note. Just I you know because he also wrote for Lost and you know, right. other shows and stuff. Figured right, it, right. You know, that out. Um, I feel like I've seen. An interview with him, maybe, but I don't have a sense of really what he looks like, so I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, no, and I don't think you would. He he will end up appearing in one other Angel episode and one or two Buffy episodes as well. That after this, like we haven't seen him yet. Oh, so, okay. Um, he sort of does have these little cameos that he. Uh, uh-huh. What one of them is in the um, a, a rather humorous moment in the Buffy musical episode. Uh, but okay. we'll uh I'll I'll point it out when we get there. Okay, you know, okay. It's, it's funny. Um Yeah, anyway, but no, I, I agree with you from the perspective of of like the bureaucracy of it, but also like well, I, I almost said ritual. It is a ritual, yeah. but it's like not ritual in like a like you know, uh uh religious sort of like um you know, authentic like we're doing this, you know, because we truly believe it kind of way. But ritual in sort of like a, oh, we have to do this because right. it happens every 75 years. And so, right. you know, it's like, right. it's like the the mother who like brings their kid to mass and, you know, they do yeah. communion in the whole nine yards. But like the kid doesn't care one way or the other. It's just like, all right, if I go through the motions and do everything right, then I can go play with my friend later. You know, right, like that right. kind of thing. Or just stick with like the corporate metaphor you know, at, at where I work, uh, we're gearing up for the accreditation cycle, you know, so like, you know, that kind of, um, you know, uh, like, oh, this ever, it's such pain, but it has to be done, you know, every, every so many years, everybody just dreads, you know, um, the process, you know, and, and how I can attest yeah. to how hellish it can be. So I like that kind of humor of that. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So to start with, um, you know, we get a certain amount of information from Lila and Lindsay. Um, and again, like, you know, not too much with them, but it continues their kind of little dynamic of her being very anxious and very, you know, she's the pessimist. She's sure they're going to, you know, all be killed and you know she's really annoyed at how 
he doesn't really seem to be taking any of this seriously and she's very worried yeah. about this and everything. Um, and Lindsay has his kind of, you know, uh, just yeah. bl- kind of blase yeah. attitude of like, <laughs> well, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I can't worry about it. You know, um, you know, Lindsay's funny that way. Like it's always hard for me to tell exactly where he's coming from because about certain things he he seems very passionate like you know he's very passionately anti-angel and you know he's very protective of Darla but you know about and and he's ambitious to a certain extent with the work but there's also the sense of they could all get killed tomorrow and he wouldn't even really care that much like you know that would just right, be right if that wouldn't even necessarily put a dent in his advancement in the company. Like, you know, he sort of is just going to accept whatever the, you know, repercussions of the senior partners are, you know, without complaint really. Um, Or at least isn't going to worry about, you know, preparing for something that hasn't happened yet. So, um, you know, they have a kind of, you know, I guess we get to see more of like the average Joe worker of Wolfram and Hart kind of through their perspectives. Um, sure. Sure. And you also get from Lindsay his, uh, you know, with the protecting of Darla, his dishonesty about, you know, oh, I don't know where they are. And obviously he has Darla, you know, sleeping on his couch and kind of, you know, she's taking advantage of him. Like you get the idea that she's playing a lot sicker than she really is. And he's sort of, you know, um, you know, kind of lapping that up and, you know, maybe enjoying getting to sort of be the hero, like, you know, Oh, you know, he saved her from the drain of like the gutter that she was lying in. And, you know, whether she really needed that saving is sort of a little bit unclear, but you know, she gets yeah. he she gets to make him feel, you know, kind of uh like the 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 savior in in that particular instance, I guess. Well, and especially considering like Drew didn't need all that time to recover, right? right. Like she right. shows up in Sunnydale and Right. There's that whole stuff that there. So it's like I, and the same thing happened to both of them. Okay. Maybe Darla got the worst of it, but yeah, you know that idea of like also the fact that like it was Drew who went, uh, you know, you know, uh, Drew who went and told Lindsay mm-hmm. where to find Darla. Like that, there's that sense of like, okay, maybe this was planned out just a little bit, like right, right, you know, to get to get Lindsay to bring Darla back and all that. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely got that impression that. Um she's you know she's a lot healthier than she's pretending to be um and you know and taking you know he gets in the shower and she's looking through his you know folders and everything so you know while right like she's playing along from whatever yeah yeah and like okay while i'm kind of a little bit still recovering i might as well get taken care of and have a place to sleep and a place where I can like do a little bit of snooping and find out information and everything. Um, so yeah. Um, 
Well, and so before we before we move off of Lindsay though, too, I also want to just that that moment between them. So um, when she says, "You always take a shower when you come back from that right. place," you know, you're never, but you're never dirty. And Lindsay says, "I'm always dirty." So there's also that sense too of like, even though he's sort of blasé and devil may care about you know his job and stuff, that it is affecting him. Like he. Right. It is hard to tell what what is his sort of purpose there. Like, you know, he de- he he must feel like he shouldn't be there for some reason. But on the other hand, like he's still there doing right. whatever. We don't know what his motivations are exactly. But there's definitely like like I think with Lindsay, the point is that there's conflict. Like Lila, I don't get the sense so much that she's conflicted about her yeah. job. It's more that she doesn't really know how to do it. Lindsay has no problem knowing how to do what he needs to do to get done. Right. It's just he doesn't like it. And he, and there's something about it that just doesn't quite sit right with him, no matter how much he sort of wants to lie to himself. and Right. And maybe you know, that's behind the blasé attitude is this sense of I'm doing the job and I'm going to be, I'm going to like do it well. But if they kill me, well, you know, <laughs> maybe I kind of deserve it a little bit or like a sense of like, yeah, let the chips fall where they may a little bit. Like there's a, there's kind of like a almost a slightly defeated kind of attitude of like, you know, it's going to go the way it's going to go. And he's not going to try too hard to survive. Whereas like Lila, I feel like is all about the survival of like, you know, just you know do well enough so the bosses don't kill us survive this review you know keep working because we can't leave like it's all more about that self-preservation um yeah and i i like darla's kind of after he says i'm always dirty she kind of like rolls her eyes like she's kind of sick of his little emo like (laughs) you know right like 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 it's sort of like she must hear this every day about how you know tortured and Uh, and conflicted yeah yeah yeah. like you know like she's just kind of weary of it at this point um so (laughs) that kind of made me smile a little bit yeah yeah um so all right i kind of feel like we talked about like you know they're really the main Wolfram Hart characters that we know so I don't feel like we know too much more about like the general you know group but um I want to go on to Angel's plan because with noticing all these sacrifices happening he's sort of putting two and two together that something sort of big is gonna happen and people are preparing for it and everything um and you know his kind of plan for this episode is to kind of go in guns blazing shut it down prevent it from happening maybe go down with the ship you know like Mm. there's this kind of like you know he's been talking for episodes and episodes about it's like him you know it's his job to go up against Wolfram and Hart and you get this idea that maybe this is the conflict he's been preparing for like this is the big you know showdown that he's been working towards all this time 
Um, and which, you know, leads him to consult with the host um, mm. who has some interesting, you know, perspectives on that. I mean, obviously the host gives a little bit more information about, you know, the idea of it's a senior partner that's coming, you know, and, and mm -hmm. what a big deal this is and everything, but interesting perspectives too, on some of the like mind reading stuff. Like, I feel like we didn't necessarily know before the host has this kind of like patient confidentiality policy of, you know, I can't, you know, I can tell you what I overhear just from the rumor mill, but I can't tell you like, secrets that I've heard in people's minds because that's like a breach of privacy or something. Um, yeah. Which well, is like, it's, it's that kind of, it's that tension of him of to what extent is he a neutral person? Because mm -hmm. he kind of maintains that privacy, even for like the bad guys, but then he finds like loopholes, you know, you kind of get the sense of he wants to give Angel this information. So it's like, well, you know, I overheard this or, well, you twisted my arm and I guess I have to tell you that I really shouldn't have told you that, but here, let me tell you something else. And like, you know, um, he's reluctant, but he also, despite reluctance, seems to go out of his way to give Angel as much information as he can. So like, maybe there's this idea that he's supposed to be neutral, but he sort of finds himself leaning more towards, you know, one direction or the other. Sure. And I think, I mean, his, his, you know, from, from what we know about him, his sort of purpose or whatever is to set people on their path, whatever that path might be. So I think, you know, that's not to say that he doesn't necessarily have his own thoughts and opinions about, you know, how people should live their lives. But like, there's also... <laughs> There's also the fact that, like, he does, he, you know, what is he telling Angel? Is he telling Angel what Angel wants to hear? Or is he telling Angel, you know, is, is he sort of still serving that purpose of setting Angel on the right path? Because, you know, the other, the other thing that he's, you know, that he says is that, like, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen a whole lot of destiny with you in it lately. It's kind of murky. Which, right. if you think about it, also sort of reflects the Wolfram and Hart attitude of, we know Angel plays the part in the apocalypse, we just don't know on what side yet. Like, mm -hmm. that's the whole, you know, that's that's the thing. It's like, Angel is still, at this point anyway, considered, you, you know, sort of a wild card piece. And so, right. you know, the host, maybe he's, you know, Again, we don't we don't necessarily know what side if either he's playing for, but he does sort of at least seem to be prompting Angel in a particular direction, which is opposing Wolfram Hart. Unless yeah. unless you look at it from the point of view of does the host know what the home office is? I mean, he says to Angel he doesn't know what the home office means. Right. He's just like I I just heard this term home office. Don't ask me what it means, but, you know, whatever. And he kind of gives him, you know, information about the band of Black Nil, which is like the first of, you know, the several implements you need. You know, you need the band to get yeah. the glove, to get the whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, and it's like, 
all right. So you could look at it either way. Does you know is he is he giving Angel just enough information that he needs either to set him on the right path or is he giving him enough information to have him wind up the way that he does in despair and going off with Darla, Mm. you know, like based on the outcome or at least what we see of the outcome as far as up to where the episode ends. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think you could, look at it sort of either way too. Like it's not necessarily Yeah. Like he might be going out of his way, but maybe it's like that oops, I gave you too much information. And then it's well, no, actually I gave you exactly as much information I needed to. Right. And and I think whenever you bring in like prophecies and destinies and people telling you your path, you have to think of like Macbeth and like, you know, I guess, like, is destiny always inevitable or is it changeable? Because, sure. you know, there's that thing of, like, well, if it's destiny, then whatever happens is what will always have happened no matter what. And, you know, whatever you're told will do whatever it's supposed to. And, you know, that's, right. like, kind of inevitable. But then the the way the host says, like, you know, I'm not getting destiny so much anymore and it's kind of murky. I don't know that that was true before. Like, I felt like maybe just we know more now, but I felt like before there was more of a sense of like, no, Angel, you are this champion against evil and you live and die in LA and like this kind of like very, you know, and you will find redemption and everything. And and I feel like does his death, like, is it is it murky because he has left the path? Like, you know, is it like, in in firing his friends and abandoning the mission to help people and to just go against Wolfram and Hart, is that why the destiny is murky? Because he's, you know, like maybe the host's insight becomes confused because Angel's not, yeah. you know, well living up to it or something. I don't know. Um and and I so I guess what I'm sort of suggesting is not just has Angel left the path, but is there maybe multiple paths that he could go on? And so right, right. if he's if he's on, like, maybe it's working now, but what if he switches paths completely? Would the host help him on a dark path? Sure, right. Versus a light, like, like, if the host is truly neutral, yeah. then, then his point is just to help Angel along the path that he's supposed right. to go on. Whatever and that maybe means, yeah. if 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 that path changes, then is he still going to help him along that path? Right. You know, just like he presumably helped the Wolfram and Hart people, mm-hmm. you know, because he can read their auras. And mm-hmm. like the whole point of his place is that, you know, it's for any demon or you right. know being to come in and have their aura read. So right. does that mean that while he's telling Angel this is your path, you know, what's he saying? You know, he's presumably sending them on their path too. Mm -hmm. You know, so if Angel's path changes, what does that mean? Does that mean that the host will help them on that path, whatever it may be? Right. Right. And I, and, and I'm not trying to suggest one way or the other, I guess, you know, I, I don't 
want to say he is or isn't, you know, this or that. Um, but I guess I do just want to say that, like, you could read his, just as with any prophecy, you could read the things that he tells angels in one or two ways. Because right. what ends up happening isn't exactly a good thing. Even though technically he defeats the senior partner, gets the ring, finds the right. home office, which are all the things that he was looking to do. Yeah. But he does not end up in a good place having done it. Right, right. So, so what was what was the point you yeah. know, of the host helping him out in that? Was it, right. I'm helping you out because, this, because you're asking me and I want you to succeed and so I'm going to give you the information even though I think it's a bad idea? Or is it, I'm going to help you out even knowing that like this outcome is right could destroy happen, you yeah yeah you know and all that so yeah and again i don't i'm not suggesting one or the other i'm just sort of yeah making it making it clear that both options right. are still right there are multiple possible. possibilities yeah um yeah and so the other thing i wanted to bring up about that too you mentioned like the macguffins of the like the ring <laughs> And, yeah. and the glove and, you know, the whatever demon and all this stuff. And, you know, I feel like that will kind of lead us into talking about the, the, the senior partner and all that, because I feel like those, you know, are, are that kind of, the ending is such a anticlimax, like you said, of unresolution. Like, yes, technically he, does all the things he's supposed to do and defeats the bad guys and wins, I guess. But it ends up being, like you said, what was the point? What does it really mean? Does it really accomplish anything? And it's so it's funny to have the the MacGuffins become like a little bit of a joke kind of of like, you know, kind of the the cliche like fantasy, you know, talismans of like, right. you know, I mean, the right. one ring being the obvious example, but like they all have them of like, this is the magical object yeah. that the hero needs. And like, they become increasingly silly of like, well, you know, you need the ring to defeat him. Well, you have to yeah. get the, you know, you have to kill the demon to get the ring and you need the glove to kill the demon. And this like chain of like, you know, quests that, although he doesn't really have to quest for any of them because they're all just sort of there. Like right. the guy well, has it, the guy, and that's part of the joke is like the guy has it like from a flea market, like in his, in his house and everything. I was um, using it for an oven. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. So it's right. kind of setting you up for this heroic, you know, using the magical object to defeat the villain triumphant kind of ending. And that being like a setup for the subversion of, yeah, you can do all that, but, you know, does it really, uh, you know, what does it mean in the long run, you know? Um, you know, which I think, I think it's, a, I think it kind of pokes fun at that type of fantasy, but I also want to defend that type of fantasy for, I think, being more complex than that makes it out to be, because, you know, even you think of, like, Tolkien and the One Ring and everything like there is a clear sense of yes this this defeats evil for now or or in one incarnation but there is still it's an ever ongoing unending battle um which is I think what this episode kind of gets at is that 
you know, which is kind of the source of Angel's despair at the end is, is killing one senior partner and preventing one apocalypse is like a drop in the bucket, you know, that this evil always has been, it will always be, it's just this unending cycle of new, you know, conflicts. And, you know, uh, you whack-a-mole, you hit one head and another one pops up. And, you know, Holland's explanation of winning doesn't matter because it's eternal, you know, you know that one winning a battle doesn't matter, you know, because there's no end to, it's just an endless cycle of new battles to be fought and won. Um, Oh, and, oh, and by the way, pretty much everybody is on Wolfram and Hart's side implicitly because people are, you know, you know, whatever you want to call it, fallen and sinful and, you know, have evil in them. And so, you know, even, even if you think you're fighting for good, that's impossible because everybody is implicitly on our side Um, Mm -hmm. and they'll do the work for us. So, you know, we can have an apocalypse every so often, but you know, you don't need that even for evil. You still have like, you know, the homeless guy who's sort of, you know, on the street and you still have the woman yelling at her kids and like all the like kind of mundane, you know, uh, little, you know, tragedies that happen every day and everything. Um, yeah. And, and, well, and, and I do want to bring up the, you know, I want to bring up the existential thing because, you know, there's the elevator to, to hell, which is the same street, you know, so this, you know, hell is other people is what that makes me think of, of just, you know, you know, hell is just ourselves and what we are capable of. And, and kicking angel back into, he thought he was going to get to actually go to hell and have this big confrontation. And then you just sort of deposit him back in the regular world. And, you know, there's no demon to fight. It's just, you know, all the people he should be helping are the people that, you know, are also the source of the conflict and everything. So anyway, go ahead. Well, and I was going to, so that idea of, you know, fighting, you know, is it worth <clears throat> fighting if you know there's no way to win, right? Is um, that parallel so you have Angel and Holland having that conversation, but that that conversation is paralleled between Virginia and Wesley too, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, and I know we right. weren't necessarily going to talk about Wesley till later, but I want to bring it up now because yeah, it, yeah. It, it fits there. It's, you know, Virginia asks, does it always seem like it's a battle worth fighting? And Wesley says, some some less than others. And, and she says, no, collectively, I mean, most people, they don't even acknowledge the evil, let alone try to fight it. Um, and they don't have to wrap themselves in bandages to keep their insides from falling out, referring, of course, to his gunshot wound. Right. So like, but that idea of like, most people don't even acknowledge evil, let alone try to fight it. And that's, that's exactly what Angel's confronted with when the elevator door opens again, right? Is that there they are, there's people, there's yelling and fighting and arguing and, yeah. you know, evil, you know, however you want to define that. Ignoring it and causing it and not fighting it (laughs) like that's that's exactly the same thing that's going on um with them so i just i mean that certainly is 
Um, you know, that's certainly there. And, and even with like, well, okay. Again, so, all right, I'm just going to go ahead and talk about the rest of the angel yeah. investigations because yeah. like you even get the beginning, you get gun, <laughs> you, you know, you get gun going off and doing his thing. Yeah. And it's like, well, I can't, I can't do anything here. So I'm going to go somewhere else because like, this is pointless. Um, and you get, Wesley at the end after him and Virginia broken up and whatever, like he's kind of feeling like it's pointless to even go into the office Yeah, and you know, Cordy's there, but like, you know, she's kind of saying, well, you know, I don't have any friends and it's pointless to go out and, Mm -hmm. you know, do anything with them. But like, you know, what's she going to do sort of on her own? Um, Not that she's like completely inept or anything, you know, like we've certainly seen how much he's grown and whatever, but like just that idea of like, well, if like, could she really run an investigations unit? Like, no, like, I don't think for a minute we think that she could. And I don't think any of them could. That's the point is that like, they need to be together to do it, but they're all sort of getting pulled apart. And I think it's because of that despair. They're all sort of realizing that, um, you know, the people they do help, like, don't even right. want to pay because they can't, yeah. they can't even acknowledge the fact that, like... They needed help in the, the first the, place. Yeah, yeah that yeah. the demon that was infesting their daughter was even real. So, right. you know, it's just that idea of, you know, getting getting to that point where you just feel like it it's not worth it any anymore. And that, right. I feel like, is sort of the end of that episode. Um, so if so if you get the existential, you know, hell is other people, but you also get sort of, you know, okay. So if we're if we're talking Sartre, you have to talk about nausea too, right? It's that it's that overwhelming despair and and uh, you know just inability to act in sort of the oppressiveness of the you know fact that nothing you do really matters in the end right um right so yeah and i i i wanted to mention that with wesley because definitely you know he calls you know i mean gun just sort of takes off but you know wesley calls in you know to call out sick but you get definitely get the impression that he's thinking about not going back at all you know like in between the 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 message between the lines is, you know, I don't think I'm going to come in anymore. Like, you know, after his talk with Virginia, it it seems that he is questioning, you know, why do this? Why put yourself through it? Um, you know, and I like that you brought up the, the pointlessness of Cordy's sort of even going out because she was seeming to me like the one exception. Of like among all the other characters who seem to be giving up, it seemed like Cordy is the lone one who is still in the office, you know, trying to make it work, answers the phone. And of course this gets her into trouble because everybody has abandoned her, you know, I mean, and some with good, like obviously Wesley had to go to the hospital. So I'm not saying like he abandoned her in that sense, but the fact that they all are, moving on to some extent leaves her alone and sort of vulnerable. 
So now you get this cliffhanger of she's heading off to this house where there are these demons waiting for her and she has no, nobody knows she's going there or, you know, um, you know, will miss her, you know, like when she goes missing, presumably. So, um, you know, which that's kind of cool. Like I, I like that it's Cordy of all people who's sort of the one lone diligent person left (laughs) like that's a nice kind of place to reach with the character um but but I think I like that you point out the kind of in her own way she's also questioning like the futility of things like you know maybe she doesn't stay there because she's dedicated maybe it's because well I don't really have anywhere else to go like she's put her whole, you know, life into angel investigations and now doesn't have a life outside that. She doesn't have any other friends. Like, right. She says like, Oh, Wesley, or, like or career or, or anything. anything. Yeah. So yeah. like she says to Wesley, like, Oh, you don't count. Like, obviously he's a friend, but it's their, you know, their work friends. She has to be with him. Like she doesn't have that support outside of the workplace. And so, you know, there is a kind of pointlessness to her leaving it, you know, or it means that if she stays, it's kind of because she's stuck there and, you know, not necessarily because she's sort of, you know, the, the only dedicated one left. Um, so yeah. And I want to, I guess while we're going through the others, I want to throw, uh, Kate into that mix as well as somebody else who's kind of giving up and, you know, um, kind of, kind of more than a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I noticed the, or, you know, kind of recently popped into my mind, the parallel of her being reviewed, you know, too, like, Mm. uh, like Wolfram and Hart are, and like it also not going well. Um, you know, and the way that they're in their decision already made, you know, it's pretty much, uh, you know, they've, they've concluded, you know, without taking any real testimony from her, kind of what their decision is. And, you know, you kind of get the one good cop who tries to say, oh, you know, it's not, you know, it's not your fault. You've been under pressure and here's a severance and we'll give you psychological counseling and everything. But, you know, there's the sentiment from the other guy of, you know, y- you know, you've gone off the deep end, you're a failure and, you know, I'm glad your father's not around to see this. So like, sure. you know, really kick her where it hurts of like, you know. Right. As if she didn't have enough of, daddy issues already. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're sort of assuming that the whole reason for this breakdown is because of the loss of his father. So now we're going to throw some guilt of his death on top of it of like, yeah, he's dead. And even if he was alive, he would be ashamed of you, you know, (laughs) like way to really like hit her where it hurts and everything. Um, So she also is like left with a cliffhanger of, you know, goes home and again with the pointlessness of like she has she says to angel like 
she's all she's only ever been a cop and if she's not a cop she doesn't know what else what what's the point what else is there she does not have you know a purpose outside of that sure um you know so it kind of ends with her you know leaving an ominous message you know surrounded by her her booze and her pills um not looking too good nope nope this is a pretty dark episode at the end huh yeah it is so we might as well talk about the darkest part um which is the cliffhanger ending with angel and darla um yeah because angel's reaction to this whole futility um is to just go you know grab Darla and kind of whether she wants to or not, just, you know, uh, take kind of the only comfort and pleasure that he can think to take, you know, and, and there's even the little Cordy makes the reference earlier about, uh, you know, when she's mad at him, you know, well, if it was anybody else, I'd tell them to, you know, get laid, but you know, one, what does she say? One decent off and then you know he goes you know dark again and everything um and she makes the a, line a little foreshadowing perhaps a little foreshadowing and and she makes you know the point too about it, the darkest part is her saying you know it would be better for everyone if he just did that because it would be more straightforward like he would actually get some sort of satisfaction and then we could kill him. So, like, you know, like, in a way, that would actually make things easier. Or, you know, obviously, that's not really true. But in the moment, that's what she's feeling is like, you know, oh, gosh, just relieve the tension already. Do what you want to do. And then we can just get rid of you once and for all and not have to deal with it anymore. Um, you know, which I guess... We don't obviously get a lot of like what he's thinking in that moment. Just the one line about, you know, he just wants to feel something other than the cold. But, um, you know, it kind of seems to me like my guess is that he's, you know, embracing the futility of, well, if it doesn't matter, then, you know, there's that kind of nihilistic viewpoint of if it does if if it doesn't matter what happens or what side i'm on you might as well just enjoy yourself and this is you know this is the thing he can think to do to just you know banish those thoughts for a little while and enjoy himself and maybe even there's like the death wish there of well then i'll go evil and then i won't have to worry about it anymore they can you know they can kill me or I won't worry. Like there's the parallel to what Kate says of like, you know, you know, you'll feel bad, but I won't, you know, I won't be there to feel bad about it and I won't feel it or worry about anything. So there's that kind of like just the release of like oblivion and not having to worry being kind of the attraction of that. Sure. Um, Sure. So I'm, I'm presuming that he, I guess what I'm saying is I'm presuming that he sleeps with Darla knowing or guessing that he's going to turn evil and like, does that kind of 
somewhat intentionally. Um, I yeah, mean, I mean, he he says he says he right right before they sleep together, he says that he just wants to feel something, right? Right. Um, I forget the exact quote, but you know about some feel something other than the cold or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean what precisely he means by that because he's a vampire so like right he's always cold (laughs) can he feel anything other than the cold but yeah um you know and i also i want to point out too so um you know the it's it's hard to uh look at this episode especially with the ending there and not sort of compare it to um you know surprise and innocence um yeah you know and and especially that last scene right so you get you get in surprise you get um sort of the rain and the sort of you know very romantic first time you know lovers and all of that um very nice and gentle and whatever and then of course you know him sort of waking up and Right. Rushing outside. You know, here, <clears throat> obviously, you know, he and Darla were lovers for a very long time and, you right. know, had all that stuff. And, and, but you also get the, you know, it's, it's dark out. I don't, is it storming outside? I can't remember if it is or not. But, um, you get, you get more so, you get the opposite of, a romantic scene. Yeah. Right? It's almost, I mean, it's very violent. Yeah. It's almost, yeah. it's almost a rape scene right. in a way. It, I mean, Darla accepts it. So like, it's not quite, but it's, it's very violent. <laughs> you know, it's very, you definitely get, and, if she doesn't outright resist, you definitely get the idea that she's, uh, like shaken by the way he's, you know, by his yeah. actions and everything, like that he's scaring her a bit. Um, yeah. You know, and um, yeah. It, it's it's definitely shades of Angelus. Like, yeah. you know, this is sort of beyond, right? Uh, you know, what you would expect from Angel as Angel, you know, as as a being with a soul. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you know, I mean, I don't want to, like, direct too much, but, like, I mean, that, that's obviously very sort of, intentional is you know those sort of the parallels and the you know opposite you know where that happens too so um yeah and also obviously that was another set of episodes surprise and innocence was another set of episodes that ran right into each other in the same sort of way so yeah yeah that's true right well and and i am i i also realize that we don't actually see confirmation of what happens at the end. Like he wakes up gasping in the same way. It seems like it, you're set up for the same thing as at the end of surprise, but the episode ends, you know, I mean with surprise and innocence, we didn't know that that could happen. So, right. So the reveal is saved for the second part when you find out what that means. Like when he kind of wakes up all like, gasping and terrified and everything but this time you're sort of i feel like you're sort of set up to expect the same thing and that's you know with 
with Joss and group, I feel like, <laughs> you know, I'm, we're, we're zigging and I'm expecting the zag of like, you know, okay. I'm not saying, I'm not ruling Angelus out, but I feel like I'm waiting for a slight twist on the idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Fair enough. You know, maybe not. Maybe it's totally straightforward and Angelus is back and, you know, but I just feel like that that ends at such an intriguing place that, okay, um, you know, I don't know that it, I'm not, I'm, not expecting it to be quite so straightforward as, you know, it's maybe made to seem, so. All right. Well, (laughs) we shall see. We shall see. I do want to bring up, um, just sort of the last few minutes here, the um, bookshop owner, Denver. Oh, right. Whose name we did not get in... Uh, the last time we saw him in Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? Um, I don't think we got his name then, did we? Um, I don't think so. I, I'm pretty sure we did not. But yeah, this is, uh, I you know, it's this is definitely a, a damn you Whedon or, you know, damn you my near moment. Because you sure. kind of get the feeling that like this could be, you know, another one of those maybe maybe he doesn't become a part of like angel investigations but he could be like a resource that right he keeps going back to but of course then darla kills him and like um, another subversion of like the heroic fantasy tropes of it's in the hero the the big speech of allegiance of like as he's passing on the glove and saying how he'll help him and all this stuff that like he gets run through so you know just when you're you know, expecting it to go one way, it sort of pulls the rug out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and right. And as he's saying, I got a feeling this time this that things are going to go, yeah. <laughs> you know, different, you would presume is yeah. what he's going to say next. And of course yeah. he gets killed. So, um, right. and I mean, you know, again, things kind of do, but kind of don't go different. Right. So like, I mean, they go different in that, you know, okay, Angel does, like, take on a senior partner and presumably kills him. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the demon, like, dies and they go out the window and, right. you know, shatter all over the sidewalk or whatever. So, like, you know, right. in a one sense, like, he did kind of do what he set out to do and he finds the home office and everything. But on the other hand, it leads to this despair and depression once he finds out what it actually is. So, right. Is that really different than sort of the last time when he, you know, oh, you know, gets hanged by the crazy people at the hotel and sort of leaves them all to their fate? Right. Uh, not that different, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Well, and you, you, maybe before we started recording, you brought up the title of, you know, Reprise. So sure. you said like, okay, that points to the ending with like, we've been here before of like, a repetition of of a scene that you know we've seen play out but also that idea of just repetition in general of like you know the more things change the more they stay the same and like you know sure any evil you defeat history repeats and any evil you know the futility of defeating evil because you know a new one comes and it can't you know that's kind of holland's whole 
speech that he gives to Angel is it's pointless because you're never going to defeat us. We're always going to be there in a new form. So it's kind of eternal, like, reprise, I guess. Um, and, you know, no situation can ever be that different from the ones that, you know, came before. So, yeah, a very cheerful episode of Angel this week. Hmm. Well, it's not going to get more cheerful. <laughs> For God's next sake. Week. Because yeah. we are setting up to watch uh, what I have deemed the saddest 40-ish oh, minutes on television ever. All right. Um, so, <laughs> with that in mind, have a great week, everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we, oh we will be back with um, the body episode of Buffy next week and uh, yeah. some more Doctor oh, Who, which right. ho- hopefully the Doctor Who episode is kind of light because we may need it. <laughs> 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 and if not, well, okay. Uh, uh, everybody take anyway. your anti-depression meds this week. There um, you go. Okay. All right. Well... See you then.